0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember, hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in
1: the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it
0: on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough.
1: You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris.
0: Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me?
1: Really? I want to know. Why did you do that?
0: What you feel only matters to you.
1: Step back for one minute and look at the big picture.
0: And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. We
1: the bond a family that very few can understand. Help me! Help you. I don't
0: drugs. Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris.
1: What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host Iris and I am here with my older brother. Wesley. And today we are talking Amazon original movie One Night in Miami. Dot dot dot. (laughs)
0: Like in poetry (laughs) you put dot dot dot.
1: (laughs) That was good. I thought that Eli Gorey's Cassius Clay was great.
0: Pretty darn solid. I I didn't think at first that any of these guys much looked like their real counterparts. But just consistently, his voice really sold me. And the eyebrows?
1: So these are your boys, dude. You introduced me to Malcolm X's biography by Alex Haley. And we grew up listening to Sam Cooke, and you took a special liking to his music in your formative years.
0: Best soul singer ever.
1: And then Muhammad Ali. I mean, you're all about when we were kings and also introduced me and this podcast to that film. So these are like, I mean, maybe aside from Jim Brown, these are your boys. So I'm kind of, I'm I'm a little bit going to be leaning on you in this review.
0: My impression of these men are just that. They're impressions But this is the first time I've ever seen Sam Cooke, for example, on film. This is the first time I've ever seen that person, that character, hold a guitar. Uh, First time I've seen Malcolm X. I mean, he's been depicted many times, but in this sort of intimate setting. So it's hard to really know if this one is more accurate than others. Like, for example, I don't know how it went with Ali. And it seems... Unlikely that Liston would concede pretty early on where they were both sweaty, barely sweaty, and certainly no one was hurt. Ali came away from his championship bout to hang out in the hotel room with these other three, uh, you know, sort of pillars of the civil rights movement and didn't have a scratch on him. As he later said himself, I don't have a scratch on me. And he was looking pretty good for someone who just went through a title bout. No. So I have to clarify, when we met Muhammad Ali, he had just become the champion. And then through the course of the movie, he had another bout. And was that the bout which preceded the one night in Miami? Because the timeline was strange.
1: They were celebrating in the worst after party ever, I might add, his title win in the Sonny Liston fight.
0: But the first fight that we saw where we were introduced to Muhammad Ali or Cassius Clay for the purposes of this movie, when he got knocked out, I wasn't sure exactly what was happening. It didn't look particularly grand and sweeping. It was seemingly devoid of score. Uh, Afterwards, we got that clunky, light jazz, terrible, it seemed like a temp cue that really bugged me. But for a grand boxing spectacle, I felt like there was nobody present. It felt like a set. It didn't feel expansive or heroic. I mean, he was fighting in the something dome or Madison Square Garden or something. And it felt really small in scale. And obviously, based on a play, that was should have been no surprise. And so th- I didn't know that it was based on a play. And then you get into the hotel room, and they've got the four walls, and that's the extent of their set, of their stage. And I was like, ah, oh, I get it now. This is why it feels that way. But Regina King, the director, she went out of her way to try to make it expansive. All, the you know, from uh, championship bouts to, you know, exteriors and liquor store runs.
1: But wouldn't you say this movie still suffers, that it's not fully utilizing the cinematic format? A
0: hundred percent. And it did feel very small. And frankly, I wasn't having a lot of fun up top.
1: When they got into the hotel, the blocking felt so staged and phony. It almost would have been better if we sat these four guys down around a table, which they later did, (laughs) and really try and milk any suspense or drama that comes from their conflict but with them kind of moving around the hotel the Hampton
0: The Fountain Blue?
1: No, that was the fancy hotel where Sam Cook
0: Yeah, the one where they were Malcolm X who wasn't who wasn't about putting on airs right. which was a segregated hotel I guess.
1: Uh the Fountain Blue was yeah. and the Hampton House seemed like it was in the Green Book. Um but it had a you know for being a modest hotel it was a fairly nice suite. Um, not the ideal place for an after party, but that's not what this really was. It was, I don't know what it was, actually. It was supposed to be a celebration, but was it a ruse? It seemed like Jim Brown and Sam Cooke came for a party and were duped. And Malcolm X, I guess, had something else in mind, according to this, you know, fictionalized, dramatized reenactment. when what his agenda was, wasn't totally clear to me, but they were awfully accommodating. Like, maybe they weren't hiding their disappointment, but they were like, well, I guess this is what it is. And and then they just kept on getting pulled into these conversations that Malcolm X was trying to draw out.
0: I felt the same way. I thought, why is this party noteworthy? And why would Muhammad Ali, who's gregarious and precocious, want to sit still with these guys? The only thing I could think was that this was our setting, this was our stage. As the play was laid out and of like video games where you walk into a room and all of a sudden it's boss level and then the boss steps out from the shadows and growls and swings the axe or whatever. And you're like, okay, it's time to fight the boss. But why is this boss in this room with no doors or windows? And it's just what you do. You just go in that room and then you're in the boss level. And This was four bosses.
1: But Malcolm X is, is certainly in charge, and he's got his men outside the door. And he seems to have an agenda, and the other guys seem to be caught unawares.
0: Malcolm X doesn't seem like a partier. As they said, he's he changed and became much more serious. But also, (laughs) I don't know that he has the opportunity. He was obviously scared the whole time and not exactly up for the party scene. So I guess if you're gonna go to Malcolm's after your championship bout, which it's not a surprise, I guess, that Muhammad Ali did, or Cassius Clay because he was on the verge of joining the Nation of Islam. If you're like, I've heard about the Hollywood chapter of Scientology, where it originated, let's go hang out, it'll be a blast. And then they're like, are you sure you wanna do this? Because it's not fun. The only only thing I was doing there, I was not comparing the Muslim religion to that of Scientology, only to suggest that the Scientology has a very notable presence in Hollywood, but that compound is all quiet and they they all wear muted gray and it's all really boring from what I can tell.
1: I get it. You were trying to say that uh, Tom Cruise throws a really boring party.
0: It started off as a boring movie, don't you think?
1: I worked in a building. Across the street from the Scientology building. The Celebrity Center is what they call it, right? Yes. I watched from my across the street window for like an hour on and off these gray blue uniformed people coming in and out of the Celebrity Center with wheelbarrows uh-huh. full of giant gray blue trash bags. <laughs> Uh-oh. Like they were getting rid of some serious dirt.
0: Oh, they, they were sh- or they were shuttling it out of there. I thought maybe they're filling up their gray-blue ball pit for fun times in the center.
1: <laughs> they were coming out and then the wheelbarrows were coming back in empty.
0: I don't know, man, maybe Tuesday is trash day and they dispose of it under the cover of secrecy
1: in matching uniform gray-blue trash bags. Was it the
0: same people because When I delivered groceries, two people came out and greeted me very somberly. They did not open the gate. They only opened the gate enough to receive the groceries, which they then took by the armful into the compound, presumably on the other side of the campus, set them down in a kitchen somewhere and then came back to retrieve more. So I stood outside the gate safeguarding their groceries while they took them back a couple bags at a time over like a 10 minute period.
1: Oh, really? You were just sitting there waiting for them to come back for another load? Well,
0: typically I would bring them, to bring it to a person's door and upon request take the groceries inside when I was working as a grocery delivery person. But, you know, we're in the middle of Hollywood Boulevard or wherever it is and all their groceries, I loaded them to the gate and they wouldn't let me bring them any farther. And they would only take them in a little bit at a time. So I was standing outside with the rest of them and then they didn't tip me. <laughs> Anyway. Oh,
1: womp womp. You know, this is back in the day when grocery delivery was like a thing. This was like when Pink Dot was delivering groceries to like high profile, really wealthy celebrity types. Now it's like everybody gets their groceries delivered.
0: I maintained there were only three types. There were the people who got a coupon and wanted to try it for the first time because it was cheap. There are the rich people who do it all the time because they either can't or won't go out to a grocery store. And then there's the sick people who need the help. Oh. Or the shut ins.
1: We digress.
0: I felt like a lot of this movie was anticlimactic, especially up top. And starting, it was pretty ambitious to start on the Cassius Clay fight where he gets knocked out and then see him rise to prominence over whatever time jump that was. But they did their best, I guess. I mean, we weren't just in the hotel room.
1: I feel like it wasn't a full adaptation to screen. But also, did Malcolm X recruit Cassius Clay? To the Nation of Islam,
0: I know that they were close associates, and that Cassius Clay, his conversion had to, by virtue of the fact that Malcolm died two days later. Although he announced it, uh, you know, he had his opportunity to back out, I guess, but he didn't embrace the Muhammad Ali moniker until after Malcolm X had died. So, however, he came to the doorstep of the Nation of Islam, or whatever Malcolm X's faction ended up being after he separated from Elijah Muhammad. I'm not really sure. I mean, maybe he was recruited. He's a very high-profile athlete with a mind of his own who... Uh,
1: Is eloquent and speaks out.
0: Wanted to do more, use his platform for good.
1: What was Malcolm X's supposed agenda? On the surface, it was to celebrate what everyone assumed to be Cassius Clay's victory. But when they got there, it was like, did he really think a gallon of ice cream and like four dudes in a room was going to be a party or did he have an agenda? And if he had an agenda, what was it other than to get Cassius Clay to commit to his announcement the following morning?
0: I don't, I'm not sure, but obviously he pissed him off at one point. And Clay was coming at him and they were going to fight. And that was because it seemed to Clay that he was going to tie him down, to rope him in to the nation just in time for him to make his break, Malcolm, from the Honorable Elijah Muhammad to start his own faction and use Muhammad Ali as a very prominent figure who had just won the title to usher or add legitimacy to this new operation that he was setting up.
1: Yeah, to help bring people over with him.
0: But the initial plan might have been just like when you have a number one single at Christmas time, and Elton John rings you and is like, come to my Christmas party. And you're like, Elton. And in this case, when they've been, you know, had been friends before and you win the title bout, your spiritual advisor invites you to come on by. We got uh, Jim Brown and Sam Cooke coming. You should come on over.
1: This is really what rich, famous people do. They're like, you're rich and famous. Let's hang out.
0: Malcolm X wouldn't have a lot of friends when he's he's in Miami. And his other high-profile famous friends also understand what it means to have to or to try to avoid the spotlight. Not Muhammad Ali, who is just itching to preen after his title win. Yeah, I think you gather because you understand the constraints of that lifestyle. In addition to the benefits, it just happened in this case that they were in the South and kind of had to lay low to an extent and decided to lay low together.
1: Mom and I watched this together. And mom loved it, got really fired up about it afterward, went on this rant about how the injustice against black people is crazy. And to this day, it's still happening. And she's like, all fired up and like, went to bed and couldn't sleep. (sighs) But she was like, How did they know what these men talked about? Someone must have recorded the story, right? And I was like, I think it's fictional. I mean, there's evidence that these four men were together, but nobody knows what happened. It's dramatized and it's fictionalized, right? Like, what happened behind closed doors?
0: No, they had a drone flying overhead, just like they did for the two popes. <laughs>
1: The two popes, which could have been and should have been so boring, whereas you have these electric, powerful, charismatic characters and you put them together in a room and it's like they cancel each other out in one night in Miami.
0: But uh, the popes were surprisingly engaging.
1: Whereas this, I felt like they always kept me at arm's length. You know, Malcolm X is, you know, people criticized him for being militant. These guys joke about him being militant and his affected speech and stuff like that but like he's not a happy person in this film when not that he should be but he's just he's upset he's pushing people around telling people what to do like they were simply crushed by malcolm x's negative energy
0: well i think that each in turn got their ability to demonstrate their displeasure with not only the situation but their discontent Even if Malcolm had to pull it out of them, each of them were discontent with their everyday lives. I don't think it was a coincidence that they were all struggling with what they were, kind of in the South. We got our glimpses of each of these four dudes, and for the principals, for Malcolm, Sam, and Cassius, I don't feel that the setups were necessary for me, but they were for Jim Brown who I don't have really any really any basis of I didn't know him as a football player or as an actor the glimpses that we got showed how yes they are wealthy and they have everything and people are delighted and and shocked at the uh, just to see them on the street on their doorstep or at the liquor store or whatever and you know proud that I come from the same town you know that you do and I'll always be proud of that fact but you can't come in my house n word and That was so abrupt and shocking that I literally jumped. I was like, oh, wow. It was completely unexpected because Bo Bridges sucked you in with his adoration for Jim Brown.
1: Was it genuine, his adoration? Or was it some kind of weird, manipulative?
0: I honestly think it's just this person is great, but this person is separate.
1: We took it all. We
0: brought them to our land. An endless night. there's a there was a clip floating around youtube It was like when you find out that the singer of your favorite song is black and it was someone who sounded white like Sam Cooke did in some instances. When he was with the Soul Stirrers and did his gospel thing, it was more soul music, whereas You Send Me and some of his hits were crossover hits where some people could have mistaken him for a white person. And I don't recall what the song was, but you can see the visible frustration on the audience's faces where they were like, I don't know if we should be singing along and and loving This black person's music. I thought it was a white guy. And they're all like all bummed out.
1: At the Copacabana where Sam Cooke is already a legend and they're like dismissive toward him. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah.
0: Well, I think they didn't like him. And that was juxtaposed with the scene in Cleveland or wherever he had the performance where he won the crowd over. By sheer, you know, sheer personality and, and uh, presence.
1: You're talking about in the flashback when Malcolm X first saw Sam Cooke perform live? Yes. That was in Chicago.
0: So I think that they are tremendously successful and admired to a point. But it doesn't matter. No matter how great you are, no matter how famous, no matter how many yards you run, it's just except like who would think, you know, you, you know that black people can't come in the house. That's ridiculous.
1: Which is in and of itself the most ironic, the most ridiculous thing.
0: It was completely shocking. And I didn't feel like we got a really good glimpse of these characters as people so much as as we did the weight that was on them by the time they arrived at the hotel room. They each had their individual pressures. But I didn't get a full glimpse of the people themselves for the longest time. And that was frustrating. They were at a boring party and it seemed like they were constrained when I wanted to know about them. But they were sort of carried along with this strange confusion and the strange ire that came from Malcolm at the very end of his life. As he was portrayed here, he was constantly hounded, ultra paranoid about white dudes outside of his hotel room. Because they had somebody had thrown torches through his home, the windows of his home.
1: Well, yeah.
0: They're just sketches. They're characters of the real people, and in that way, I I kind of finally came around. It was like the Breakfast Club. These people only came together because of a certain scenario, and each character in turn has their little outburst their moment to shine, except for Jim Brown, who was kind of like, oh, okay, let's keep it. Let's keep it together, fellas. But mm-hmm. Sam Cooke had his outburst. Muhammad Ali, you know, had his moment. And certainly Malcolm was kind of presiding over the show and steering the conversation a lot of the time, but it got better. Sam Cooke's Bobby Womack story in response to Malcolm X's allegations that he was just what did he call him? He said he was a, a monkey dancing for the organ grinder. To yep, the, white the folks.
1: organ grinder rears its ugly head again.
0: Resurfaces from Mank. You <laughs> still don't know what that means. But uh, but his rebuttal about Bobby Womack and how through the back channels of, of music publishing and the rights helped him make the money that would enable him to support black artists was a good rebuttal. And, and he kind of shut Malcolm X down in that way.
1: But the movies seem to suggest that Malcolm X exposing Sam Cooke's opportunity, missed opportunity, uh, did have an impact on Sam Cooke this night. Yes. And that it changed not only Sam Cooke, but the world, the the listening world for the better.
0: Well, that's the idea, right? That this night is a an understated magical catalyst for many things. This was the night where Malcolm X got some perspective on His struggle and how it wasn't just about, you know, we got to fight. People are dying every day and you got to fight and you got to do the black and white stuff that Sam Cooke was talking about. Or maybe it was Jim Brown was talking about. He kind of softened his approach and let Muhammad Ali or let let Cassius speak for himself. All he wanted was uh, Malcolm by his side. Sam Cooke decided to finally step up and write the civil rights anthem that he knew he had in him. Jim Brown is like, I don't care what you're saying. I'm going to pursue my thing because this is my truth. It was inferring that this one night was the cause of all of that, this connection.
1: Did Jim Brown affect change through his acting career?
0: I don't know I, because I have no reference for Jim Brown. He wasn't really on my radar, so the splash he made must have been personal. I, I knew him by name
1: only. Well, you know, acting's easier on these, so either way, it seems like it was he was better off.
0: You know that painting, or it's not really a painting, it's like a cheesy wall hanging of Elvis Presley and James Dean and Marilyn Monroe (laughs) and Marlon Brando all hanging out in the corner cafe playing pool? That thing has a name, right?
1: They hang out in lots of different fictional settings, but yes, I know what you're talking about. Uh, Nighthawks.
0: Something like that. And this movie was a little bit like that. I mean, Malcolm X died two days later. Sam Cooke was dead by December of that year. Jim Brown's still around. He's the last one. We have to examine this on how well it works as a movie. I have a real soft spot for Regina King. I think she's great and has been great since the mid 90s when I discovered her and know her from movies like Jerry Maguire and Enemy of the State when she was doing all the acting stuff. Now, of course, she's a she's on. Watchmen and she won her Oscar for Best Supporting for If Beale Street Could Talk, which is the only good thing about that movie. I was like, I really hope she wins. Holy cow, she won. That's amazing. And now she's directing. Good for her. And I think that she did her darndest. I think she did a damn sight better than the dude who directed Ma Rainey's Black Bottom did. Ultimately, it comes down to, all right, we finally get our footing in this world. It doesn't really feel expansive enough to me. You got to feel it. You got to make it feel cinematic. And when they don't do that, you finally come around in the end and you focus on the characters. And honestly, I struggled all the way to the end. It was like these larger than life legends where I felt like we did penetrate a little bit to something I didn't know. About these guys, I've never seen a movie, a biopic about Sam Cooke, and didn't know what the guy was ever like. And I feel like I got a nice glimpse. Did you see Midnight in Paris?
1: Woody Allen, all the writers,
0: and uh, Owen Wilson stumbling around and ends up at Gertrude Stein's party, and you get glimpses, and you identify them by those glimpses and those telltale ticks and signs. Right. And you're like, there's Gertrude Stein. Well, how do you know? And there were all those hallmarks. Everybody had their little beats, I think. I'm not sure about Jim Brown that made them readily identifiable when celebrities float in and out of movies or make appearances. You know, you're like, you know who that was? And you can tell by the jacket and the hairstyle or whatever. And we got a lot in Muhammad Ali's face. And I think that kid did a great job for a 22 year old just coming into his own as the champion of the world. I thought the mannerisms were good, the voice was spot on. I think he looked enough like him to where I was really happy. Uh, Leslie Odom Jr. is maybe the only person who can play Sam Cooke convincingly. And still, when he opened his mouth, I was like, ooh, that's not quite Sam Cooke.
1: You mean when he was singing? Because he was fabulous. He was fabulous,
0: but he wasn't Sam Cooke.
1: I mean, it's hard to look at Leslie Odom and not think of Aaron Burr. Like, it took me a good, solid, maybe hour before I could shake off his Aaron Burr smarminess and enjoy him as Sam Cooke.
0: Hamilton is the only thing, in fact, that I know Leslie Odom Jr. for, so I can see what you're saying. I know him more by his voice, which is light and pristine and crystalline, but it doesn't have the soul, if you'll pardon that expression, of Sam Cooke. There's a little bit of grit, a little bit more pain and heart, in Sam Cooke's voice that Leslie Odom doesn't have. He's very technically proficient, like Celine Dion, who you who I hear. And I'm like, oh, there's not an ounce of heart in there, but she's still technically brilliant.
1: Maybe we should get some boxing experts to weigh in on Eli Gorey's punch.
0: Pretty rough. I mean, it was like Godfather-level punching. <laughs> I think at one point he reached out. He overextended just to be able to tap the dude on the nose with his glove. <laughs> No wonder Ali wasn't hurt in those bouts. Maybe this wasn't Regina King's strong suit. It was the boxing scenes. But she gave it her best go to tell the story and to carry it along.
1: I think that it's certainly an intriguing concept to take these four legends, icons in their own realm, and kind of strip them down and humanize them in this very intimate setting.
0: And if you do it the right way, it doesn't matter how close their impression is how closely they resemble the person, as long as you feel it.
1: And I feel like I'm getting closer to what it was that, w- that didn't work for me. When you take these legends and you strip them down to this very human, relatable level, it's almost like, well, why not just get four dudes who perhaps more empathetically bear the weight of the world, the plight of the every man or the plight of the black man. Stripping these guys down, it didn't matter who they were we were supposed to draw so much weight from who they were historically that I felt like didn't translate.
0: You're saying that you perceive these civil rights era Titans. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is what I've been saying about the breakfast club and things where you get just four normal people who come together and we come to learn how they're special and what their deficiencies are. But, in order for us to care, and, you know, there are lots of movies like that, but in order for us to care, the personas weigh heavily.
1: The construct is, is interesting because it suggests that, you know, these moments are special and they're fleeting and they are ephemeral. And then you can trace back to how something that happens or some, a change that they affect can be traced back to this moment in time where they, where they touched each other's lives.
0: For all intents and purposes, once you close the door in the hotel room, we don't know what they said or what they did. And in that way, they are just every man. So that th- there are three levels, I feel. There's historical context. You're in the South in the 60s, and segregation is, is on the verge of breaking down, and the times are changing, right? And then you have these four figures who everybody knows, so we want to make them look and talk and act just like them. And then there is just the human connection that we don't have a basis for that we either accept or don't. And I feel like I accepted the first one just fine. Okay, I get it. We're in the 60s in the South. The cars are right. The clothes are right. With the caricatures, mm, they look enough like them. And our friend sounded an awful lot like Muhammad Ali. So let's go with that. And then on the human level that it doesn't seem like connected you to this picture, I felt... I got an accurate portrait of what at least the writer had set out to do, which was show glimpses that we hadn't seen before attached to celebrities that I admire.
1: The writer, none other than Kemp Powers, who has the, quote, rare distinction of being the writer of two films released on December 25th, 2020, one being Soul and the other being One Night in Miami. Maybe Kemp Powers is just your guy.
0: Like I said, I struggled all the way to the end. I definitely think this is an all-right movie, and I was touched, and I was a little bit choked up. But I loved "A Change Is Gonna Come," and all the Sam Cooke's music before Leslie Odom Jr. ever opened his mouth. And I got—I was able to get past that. It doesn't sound exactly like him. That these guys aren't the real people, and maybe this is not how this night in Miami actually took place. But it was enough that I was over—that I was won over. I was strangely and surprisingly touched. And so I have to credit the acting more than anything with what sold this movie for me. I'm going to give it an official all right and kind of on the higher end. Kingsley Ben-Adir, a British guy who played Malcolm X and I think did a really, really good job. Because Malcolm X is one of the three most prominent finger characters in cinema history. (laughs) If you don't got the finger, you don't got Malcolm X. There are only three people who are known for the finger, and one is Malcolm X, and the other is Leonardo DiCaprio. And who's the third one? Thinking. (laughs) E.T.
1: Listen, I can get behind the acting, and props to our four main characters, and big credit to our director, Regina King, who I'm sure had a lot to do with it.
0: First feature.
1: To tweaking those performances, but to me it didn't feel significant. And when I look at the movie poster and I see that the historical figures are getting bigger billing than the actors themselves, um, I'm getting the feeling that they're being used to misconstrue or rewrite history. And in execution, it was literally boring. So I think that's a boring from me for One Night in Miami. And there you got it. That's our review on One Night in Miami. Amazon Original Film, available on Amazon Prime. Let us know what you think about this film. A little bit polarizing for us. 818-835-0473 is our hotline. Leave us a voicemail. Let us know what you think. Or whatever movies at gmail.com, at or whatever movies on Instagram. Please subscribe to our podcast. Please support us on Patreon. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this review on One Night in Miami, and we'll see you next time.